Okay, here's the deal. Scenario. Your house is on fire. The kids are out. The pets are out. Uh, as you're leaving, you, you know that you're going to lose everything. You can grab one thing. That's it. Just one thing. Okay, what's it going to be? Okay, I want you to take just a moment to share with the person next to you what you're going to grab. One more time. Your house is on fire. The kids are out. The pets are all out. You can, on your way out, you can grab one thing. That's it. It's the only thing you're going to be able to save. What's it going to be? Go ahead and share with the person next to you. Okay. Who said golf clubs? You're grabbing the golf clubs. Ah, no, okay. How about the Xbox? Got some students. Anyone on the Xbox? Big screen TV? Uh, the China? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, clothes? Okay. How about uh, family pictures? Anybody on that one? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, before the digital age, for sure, that was the most popular answer to that question. Think about this. Family pictures, they're somewhat impragmatic. They're useless things, really. They sit around and gather dust, and we pull them out once a year. But they represent our families, don't they? They represent uh, some of the most important relationships in our lives. And so when everything's burning down, we know we're going to lose it all, we, we go to recognize the most important thing we have are our relationships. But relationships can sometimes be goofy, can't they? You know, as I, I was in the school... Now, uh, group dated a couple of different times. We didn't we just went out with friends, big groups. But but she started coming, Debbie, very cute girl. And the way things worked, we were by each other and talked and laughed and had fun. Well, we went out again, big group, and, and talked and laughed and had fun. I thought, okay, well, this is this is good. And so I worked up the courage, and it took a long time to work up the courage. Girls, you don't know. And so I was sweating and growling. Ah! So finally called her up. And as I started talk, she was relaxed and she was laughing. I thought, oh, this is a good sign. And so as we talked, then, then I, I, I asked her, a little more courage. I said, Debbie, what's, what do you got going on Friday night? And she said, nothing. My Friday night is wide open. That's a good sign, right? I said, how about you and I go out and get a bagel or a pizza, whatever it was. And all of a sudden it was quiet. She said, well, I might be doing something Friday night. I thought, oh, if I had a copy of Relationship for Dummies, I would give it to her because she could have been with me. What is she? <sighs> and Facebook, if you were to set up your relationship, you know, Facebook page, you can set up your relationship status. You can check. It's complicated. Uh, relationships are complicated. Maybe yours are not as complicated as Bill Baker and Edna Harvey, though. If you think your family has problems, consider the marriage mayhem created when 76-year-old Bill Baker of London recently wed Edna Harvey. She happened to be his granddaughter's husband's mother. That's where the confusion began, according to Baker's granddaughter, Lynn. My mother-in-law is now my step-grandmother. My grandfather is now my step-father-in-law. My mom is my sister-in-law, my brother is my nephew, but even crazier is that I'm now married to my uncle, and my own children are my cousins. It's, it's, did you follow? That's something like out of Kentucky or something. You go, man, what is that about? 
But relationships can be, you know, I bet if we had a movie, we were going to film relationship bloopers, right? Every one of us could start in it, right? We got some stories, some stupid things that we've done. Maybe I just have them all. But I think that we've all got those stories, uh, funny, embarrassing things. But when we really talk relationships through, we realize there are also those that are very painful. Probably nothing in this life can cause more pain, more hurt than than, uh, failed relationships, um, sometimes because the paint is so deep or the scars are, are, are so um, fresh, we decide, I quit, just forget it. And we kind of put our heart, a, a little stone hedge around it because of the hurt. Or maybe you might be saying, you know what, I'm just not a people person. I'm so insecure. Every time I call the girl, she's got something going on Friday night. You know, I'm just not a people person and therefore... Uh, I'm shutting them down. I'm just too insecure. I'm nervous around people. So I, 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 I'm, I know my limitations. I'm not going there. Or maybe you're on a fast track and you're saying, you know what? I got things to do, people to, to see and deals to make. And I just don't have time to get tied down with all the drama of relationships. And so, you know what? Uh, secondary, I'm going. And if they come along with me, that's great. But if they get in the way, then they're out of here because I'm just moving. And relationships are kind of a secondary thing. But relationships in our life, they're not a secondary thing at all. Incredibly, incredibly important. Tons of studies out on this. Just tons of of studies. Julian Holt Lundstad, she's a PhD professor of psychology at Brigham Young. It's uh, people with strong relationships are 50% less likely to die prematurely. She says this, and, and I quote, One thing research shows is that as one's social network gets smaller... One's risk for mortality increases. And it's a strong correlation, almost as strong as the correlation between smoking and mortality. Now, while smoking is bad for your health, not having friends just as bad for your health. According to psychologist Sheldon Cohen, college students who reported having strong relationships were half as likely to catch a common cold. And this is all over. There's lots of studies out on that, that the relationships do something chemically to strengthen your immune system. In 1989, David Spiegler, a professor of psychiatry at Stanford, published a landmark paper that showed that women with breast cancer who participated in a support group lived twice as long and had much less pain than those who didn't. Relations, you almost would think, we are, we are made for this. It's not an optional thing. We are, are made for this. And if we, if we are not in healthy relationships, it's like a fish being out of water. You're not going to survive real long. We need this much more than we, we thought we did. Conversely, the University of Chicago studied a group of 229 adults over five years. They found that loneliness could predict higher blood pressure even years later, indicating that the effects of isolation have long-lasting consequences. Emotionally, friends uh, determine often what we think of ourselves. Our self-esteem, our our identity, our self-respect is greatly impacted by the reactions of other people to us. I was skiing one time, and uh, I went down the wrong path. Got off the chair in the wrong place. I don't know. Double diamond or whatever. But it didn't look too bad. It was just a a very steep thing, and I could handle that. So I bulleted that. I'm going 90 miles an hour, but it was fine. And then it evened off. Then it dropped again, and there were all these moguls. And I don't do moguls. I don't do anything now. But I was, I was, oh, no. So I hit it going 100 miles an hour, and I just sailed. 
pass over all of them until I hit the bottom, and then it was just a terrible wipeout. It was it was awful. But I don't know where my skis were. But I got up, and and I was wasn't hurt, which was great. But there was a gal standing not too terribly far away, looking at me, going. You know, I was feeling, oh, oh, I just, I wish I died on that one. The reactions of other people do affect us. And we might say, well, that shouldn't happen. The only thing that's important is what God thinks of us. And I would differ on that. I don't think biblically that's correct. What others think of us does impact us. When you look at the people who shoot up schools and theaters and those kind of things, common denominator is they're loners. They don't have healthy relationships. As a matter of fact, drug abuse, um, alcohol abuse, suicide, much more common with loners than with people who have healthy relationships. Our relationships are huge for us physically, for us emotionally and mentally, and, and vocationally. The Carnegie Institute has determined, this is, this is fascinating to me, that 90% of those who, who fail in their vocation, 90%, do so because they can't get along with others. It's relationships, huge, very, very important to us. And we've got a mindset often in America, kind of like the Westerns, you know, that, that just independence is so huge. And I'm going this way. I'm going to say what I need to say. And if anyone doesn't like it, oh, well, but I'm just going to be my own. And everyone kind of applauds. Whoa, that's kind of cool. And God says, oh, it's not. And, and, you know, this makes sense when we think that we perhaps were made for a relationship when we look at what Scripture says about our maker. God has existed from eternity past. God never existed outside of the Trinity. I mean, there was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Genesis one twenty six, and we want to do a study on, on the... Uh, Trinity, this would not be an issue. But in Genesis one twenty six, God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Think about this. Before there was anything, ever, ever, anything, ever, there was relationship. There was community. It wasn't one kind of God just kind of out there. It was, it was relationship. And so it would make sense when he created us, since we're created in his image, that we're created for relationship. God doesn't even exist outside of it. Why do we think we can live in isolation and be okay? It's not going to happen. So God creates us one day. This triune God, he creates mankind, but he does an interesting thing. I think he creates him alone. If you have your Bibles, look with me to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at different uh, principles for biblical healthy relationships uh, but we're going to start this morning all the way back. Very first relationship, very first, first human relationship. And just see if we can gather some, some things out of that. Genesis chapter 2. Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now, if you think about Adam's world at this time, right? Adam's world was a perfect environment. Right? No rainforests are on their way out. There's no maverick diseases, stuff, no tsunamis to worry about, no snow. I mean, it was just perfect, all the perfect environment. All the, you couldn't get better. It's perfect. And you think of, of, of Adam. He had plenty of possessions, right? I mean, it was, he couldn't dream up anything that he didn't have. He had it 
all. He had everything, as much of it as he wanted. He wanted to walk with God, literally, not a problem. He had everything. And he also had prestige. You know, they say that we chase after that sometimes. Well, he, he started off on the top rung. He's the chairman of the board, the CEO, the president, king of the world. I mean, you don't get a whole lot better than that. That's how he started. I mean, he had it all. And yet still, God looks at this one guy in isolation to relationship, and God says, it's not good. Now, up to this point, the only judgment ever rendered has been, in the history of the world, has been good. God created this. He says it's good. He created that. He says it's good. He created the other thing. He said it's good. Then he comes to man, and he, we're not talking morally. We're, when he says good, he's talking about fullness, complete, uh, thorough. It was, it was perfect in that regard. It was complete. But when he looks at man by himself, he says, not good. It's, it's as if man is one piece of the puzzle. And today what happens is we've got the one piece of the puzzle and we want to blow everybody else off and we try hard to be the whole picture, but you just can't do it. Now, he's not talking when he's going to fix this here. It's not necessarily or simply or purely marriage, even though marriage is God's key solution here. The reason why we know this is because in the New Testament, it says that God gives some people the gift of singleness. And God does not give not good gifts. The gift of singleness is a good, if you have that, it is a good gift that God has given to be stewarded pro- properly. But, but even so, you may have such a gift. He still says, as far as mankind is concerned, it's not good to live in isolation. You need relationship. You need, you need uh, those uh, people with you. You might say, well, well Why? Because, you know, I've been through some stuff and I've had some in relationship, loser, loser, loser. Why do I want another one of these? How is this possibly good? Well, still Genesis 2, 18, I think it says when it says, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, now, right away, if you're a woman, you're going, all right, hang on. I see where this is going, man. What is this helper stuff? What is that about? Um, the word helper is the, the Hebrew word azar. And it means um, to aid, to support. It's a word that's often used for calling in military uh, alliances, strength. Believe it or not, the word in the Old Testament refers to God more than it does anybody else. He's Israel's helper. It's who you go to. Who are you going to call when you've pro- got problems? You need somebody's wisdom, some, someone's strength, someone's support, someone's help. That's who you call. That's what, that's what the word means. And so when God says that, it, this is fascinating, Adam, I've got a job for him. I've got something he needs to do and something he needs to accomplish, but he can't do it by himself. I like sometimes, you know, I just wish he would have allowed me to just do it by myself because the things that cause us the most trouble sometimes are relationships. It'd be nice if they could be tangential or simple, or if they're nice and kind, I'll grab onto them. But if they require work, forget it. But God says, no, 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 you can't accomplish what I've called you to do by yourself. You just can't. You just can't. You can try. And whatever happens in life, okay, it does, but it will never be what it could have been. Well, we find Proverbs, I don't have it on the screen, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You will never be as sharp as you could have been without this good, healthy relationships. 
Think of Jesus. He's in Gethsemane, right? I mean, everything is, is going bad. He's, gonna, he's in a very dark time. And so what does he do? I'm just going to deal with this on my own. This is Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, James, and John, I need you to come with me. My soul is grievous to the point of death. Would you come with me? I just need, just need you to be with me. You ever go through really hard times? You just need someone to be with you. You don't need someone preaching. You just need someone to be with you. Jesus had garden friends. And you know as well as I do, there'll be a day when everything falls apart. I don't look forward to that day, but you know it's, we'll be there. And if you don't have garden friends, it's going to be a very, very dark time. God does not expect you and I to just make it because we're so strong in and of ourselves. He says, no, I didn't wire you that way. I wired you to need. It's not good to be alone. He's not just caring because I might feel lonely. It's, it's way deeper than that. We need others because they help us. But we need others, this is huge, not just because they help us, it's not just about me, but that I might help. I don't have this one on the screen, but if I went to Ephesians chapter 5, it's talking about the, the husband's job. You're thinking, oh, the wife's job is the, the helper. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I need to be helped. But also, this is, this is huge, I need to pour into someone else. I need to help. Your, your responsibility in a relationship, this, this, is, this, is, so, this is so good, is it's not there just for me, it's not there for my security and for me to feel comfortable and for me to be nice and me maybe to help them out once in a while. But my job is to assist them in becoming what God has called them to be. Please, please, especially kids, my job in a relationship as a friend, according to Scripture, is not to cover their sin. It's not to help them avoid the consequences of blowing it. It's to help them become blameless and pure. It's, it's help God's will for their life be realized. They might not think that. They might not care. That might not be their agenda, but that's still your job. I was so oh, eight. I, last week, remember Easter, I held up my, my sign and I was an aimless, foul-mouthed punk kid, right? Much worse than just standing on cardboard. Um, but I did. I was a pretty foul-mouthed kid. Uh, I didn't know what half the words meant, but boy, I said them with gusto and I was all over that. Uh, well, we would have swear fights on occasion. Gerald and Earl, we would have swear fights. And I just remember walking down the alley and the way the swear fights worked is one of us would start off, oh, blankety-blank, and the other one would go... Oh, blankety, 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 blank. And the next person would go, oh, yeah, well, blankety, 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 blank. And we just thought this was hilarious, you know, the eight-year-old kids. But then we kept outdoing each other with our blankety, blankety's. And, and Earl went, oh, blankety, blankety. And then I went, oh, yeah, well, blankety, 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 blankety. And then Gerald's turn. He was quiet. Didn't say anything. I'm like, <laughs> come on, come on, Gerald, can't you think of anything? We've already beat you. And he said, the other night, we had a wanna. I gave my heart to Jesus. Well, we did too. We said, but I don't think Jesus wants me talking like that anymore. As an eight-year-old kid, he didn't preach a sermon to me. But you know, what was this? Forty-five years later, 
This was a milestone in, in my life. I trusted Christ, but I didn't think anything about it. But when I heard that, Gerald definitely had, had a huge influence in stirring me to be more Christ-like. Here's the question. Those that we're in relationship with, are they spiritually better because they're in relationship with you? You can't force them. I got that. We don't want to nag and we don't want to complain on them. All it's not, They're not going to be spiritually better. They're going to run and hate God in the church. But are they spiritually better because... Is that your, your burden, your concern, what you're seeking, you're praying for? Because that's your assignment before God. And that's what we'll be held accountable for one day. The purpose of relationships is that I'm, I'm helped. I can't make it without them. And it's that, that I, I help as well. Now, interesting deal, back in Genesis, as we, we look at this, I think that God obviously knew that it's not good for man to be alone, but I'm not so sure that Adam realized that. Sometimes, again, we think, oh, I don't need anybody, that sort of deal. And so God concocts a plan. It says, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So as Adam's hanging out, and whatever it is, two turtles and two aardvarks and two porcupines, and he's naming them all. There's a oh, this, there's a giraffes, and right. But then he's looking around. There's nobody his looking like him. And there's two of those. And two of them. I'm alone. I'm alone. I think the reason why this text is here, actually, it would have been easy, right, for God to just create man and woman and just leave it at that and take away this whole little piece of Scripture. But he's driving down to Adam. He's driving down to you and to me. Relationships are not optional. You need to understand the value that God, he created us to be in them. When we are outside them, we will never be what we're supposed to be. He created them. Now, I know they're hard and all that, and that's what these next multiple weeks will be about. But it's imperative that we see them from his, God's perspective. Now, you, you would think, you got Mr. Perfect and Mrs. Perfect living in a perfect environment. You know, God creates Eve. Uh, what can go wrong? It's perfect, right? Look who I got, but look who he gets. He gets Mrs. Perfect. How can it possibly go wrong? But in chapter 3, you know the story. God has puts a tree in the middle of the garden, says you guys can eat of anything in the garden, lots of stuff, but this one tree, don't, 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 don't touch this one. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Have you ever had like a walk by and seen a fresh paint sign, don't touch? <laughs> you just want it just to see if it's still, you know, there. Well, God says don't touch this one. Oh, well, let's just, so they don't trust him. They're pretty sure that he's trying to hold something back from them, so they, so they get into this thing, they disobey. And suddenly, Scripture says, they realize they're naked. Now, none of the animals, other animals, wearing clothes. Uh, they didn't. <laughs> clothes? What are, clothes? What are you talking about? What's wearing clothes? Right? But suddenly, they realize they were naked. They were shamed. I think that's much deeper philosophically and theologically than, than what meets the eye. But they're ashamed. And so God is walking through the garden and they try to hide from God because they're ashamed. And God calls them out and Adam says, well, I tried to hide, see I was naked. In verse 11 of chapter 3, God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? This is a perfect place for the man to say yes, right? But the man said... 
The woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. It was growing great, God. I mean, this was a woman. Is like, what can I do? I can't do anything. She just kind of takes over and she leads. And I, what can I, I, you know what? So it's the best you could have gave me, God. It's not my fault. Kind of, you're the one who gave me this girl. And so on and on and on. And it's important to realize at this point, they start blaming each other. At this point, they get kicked out of the garden. Uh, but their, their issue, I mean, it's, it's not, well, the other person had emotional baggage. No, they didn't have any. The issue is not, well, he kept comparing me to his mother. He didn't have a mother. He didn't do that, right? The, the issue is not he was a morning person and she was an evening person or they had personality differences or they, they, they had irreconcilable differences. That was not, it's not that they were different. Oh, no, 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 just the opposite of that. There was something else going on that was just so much deeper. According to Scripture, oh, after Adam and Eve fell here, what's been passed on to you and to, to myself, uh, something much bigger than those things. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't address those things, certainly. At some point, probably, we probably need to deal with those. Uh, but something so much deeper. As long as we look at those things and blame the relationship going south on those things, and that person that you is, and, the, and, and what happened here, and, and the situation, and we start blaming outside, outside uh, and we don't stop and look inside. You know, everything else relationally is going to be cosmetic surgery. It's just, it's, yeah, there's some little things we can do. And, uh, but everything else will be cosmetic surgery until we stop and look deep and say, what is the real issue? According to Scripture, this, this uh, uh, sinful nature, self-love, is referred to as... Uh, uh, just straight up selfishness and it's, it's pride. It takes over. It's me first becomes the issue. That's the culprit in, in relationships. Now, there may be other issues, but that's the primary one. And while I can't control other people and other things, I've got to focus on that one in me first. Uh, Frederick Bogner says, says this. He says, original sin means that we all originate out of a sinful world which taints us from the word go. We all tend to make ourselves the center of the universe. Uh, Larry Crabb, marriage counselor. And Crabb counseled lots and lots of marriages trying to fix them. And then after he'd done that for years, he writes his book, Men and Women, where he says this, We will not move very far in our efforts to develop good marriages until we understand that repairing a damaged sense of identity and healing the wound in our hearts is not the first order of business. It's rather dealing with the subtle, pervasive, stubborn commitment to ourselves. Tim Keller agrees. Keller says the main barrier to the development of a self, of servant heart in marriage is the radical self-centeredness of the sinful human heart. Self-centeredness is a havoc-wreaking problem in many marriages, and it is the ever-present enemy of every marriage, I'd say of every relationship. I've got quotes from secular folk who say the same thing. That which destroys relationships is that, that selfishness, that commitment to me. You're committed to me. As long as you're committed to me, we're going to get along fine. But once you start getting committed to you, and you expect me to be committed to you, and my service to you hinders my being committed to me, that's going to be going to have some issues. Irreconcilable differences. Basically the same thing. We're both committed to ourselves. But because of that, they're radically different. Now, First Corinthians 
lets us know that love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it does not boast, it's not proud. I missed the verse on there, but it's also it says it is not self-seeking. Now here's a question. Is it possible? Let me just is it just possible that we don't know how to love? We think because we have the feelings, and then Hollywood has told us that that's what love is. But what if love is not that? What if, what if love is, is selflessness? And bottom line is we don't know how. We get into a relationship and we try the best we can, but, but we don't know how to love. We are deeply committed to us. What if, what, if, what if love is not yes or no? What if it's a continuum? And we're just falling on the, the short side of it. And what if our person we're trying to get in a relationship with is falling on the short side of it? We've got all kinds, kinds of issues. The way we, we come to see what love is, is God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When he had nothing to gain, when he didn't gain, I mean, nothing out of this, right? Other than pain and inconvenience and all kinds of stuff, he gave for you and I. Selflessly gave for you and I. That's why Paul says, and it's important for us to realize that just because I become a believer, I accept Christ, it doesn't mean that now I'm suddenly a wonderful lover person and I understand I've got this all nailed. Because if it was so, Paul wouldn't have to write this in Philippians. He says, do nothing. He's writing to believers. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, you and I, if you know Christ, we have got to be lasered on this. We have to recognize that the real enemy to relationship is in here. It's not out there. And I have to, I have to focus and I have to pray and I have to say, God, am I loving me and not really loving me? I, I talk myself into thinking that I really love you. It's terrible to admit that I really don't. That would hurt so bad. I can't get there. But inside, when no one's listening... I say, maybe I really don't. Lord, would you help me? Would you show me my sin? Now, where we're going to go for the next uh, few weeks on this is, uh, let me let me keep going down this road for just a second. You might be in a relationship with somebody, you know what, who they are not interested in growing with Christ. They're, they're just dysfunctional. They're a huge problem. They're not ready to reciprocate in any way, shape, or form. What do you do with that? Well, First Peter uh, it says, wives, and, and we can, this, I think this reflects all relationships, but wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, you're not dealing with folk who care about God or his word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. You know, my dad, uh, definitely not a believer when I was little. I'm definitely not a believer. It wasn't a, a Bad dad, but not a believer. Uh, but I remember when he came to know Christ, later on, when we talk about it, he'd say, you know, that which got him thinking about it was my mom, who was a believer, who wasn't preachy, she wasn't nagging him. Matter of fact, sometimes she would stay home from church because my dad didn't want her to go, wanted her to stay home with him. So she, she did. But because of that, my dad, testing her in some ways, saw her faith. And said, I, I don't know what your mom has had, but she had something I didn't have. And then when he heard the gospel, everything clicked. Ah, oh, that's right. We can influence those. We can't control them. They're going to do, but we can influence through, through a commitment. 
to godly relationship. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some key principles in God's word that are going to, uh, uh, I pray, take us to a different level. Take me, take, take us to a different level. Wherever our relationships are today, we can heighten because we can start with ourselves and make sure we are more of the person God wants us, God wants us to be.